You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you. And they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember... This is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Hey, Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super really really down. Oh, no. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, you and I talk all the time. We talk every day. And you know I've been thinking about going to therapy, but I've been to (laughs) therapists before, and I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff and you know how much i love talking about disability right yeah i hear you have like a whole podcast about it right i mean yeah. i talk about it all the time everywhere and i'm just yeah. worried that i don't want to explain to a therapist like what is ableism what is disability like i don't want to do that before we get into my stuff you know yeah that's fair you shouldn't have to like fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process and i think that's really hard because Honestly, you deserve support from someone who gets it. You get it? You're my best, you, like, you're my best friend. You get it? What do you think I should do? I mean, I think you should find a disability-informed support person to help you work through this. If anyone listening to this is interested, I'm actually offering disability-informed support for $40 per session. Whoa, whoa. $40 a session? That's super cheap. The last time I checked, one session was like over 100 bucks. But we can still talk about disability stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, everything from, like, physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism, grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live, experience. It's so fun, isn't it? It's it's so great. It's the best, yes. And I I know you also do, you also offer support for non-disabled people too, right? Yeah, I do support for able-bodied and non-disabled people as well because really, I mean, everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life. And while 
that's a different experience than living with chronic disability. I think it's all very related. And if you're going through any sort of life change where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support. I think that it's such a great thing you're offering and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that? Okay, well, right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S one zero at gmail.com and you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me. Awesome. Well, I, I can't I can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing. I'm so excited that there's finally disability-centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about. And thank you so much for offering it and for putting yourself out there, Kristen. Aw, thanks, Andrew. I hope you feel better soon. Me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your deliciously disabled daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get the show started, shall we? First things first, I want to remind you, if you want to support the show and support the work that we do here, telling stories around disability and shining a light on disability, please go to Disability After Dark, sorry, to to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more, or yearly amount if that's easier on your budget. I know that as disabled people, we don't have a lot of disposable income, so whatever you're able to do, and if you're not disabled and you're listening please consider supporting as well. Um, when you support, you'll get the show one day early, completely ad-free, as well as a sexy, awkward, probably a more awkward shout-out for me. And, I, and I'll just thank you for your pledge, and I would appreciate that. Um, really means a lot to keep the show going. I make the show completely by myself, completely independently, and I would love your support if you're able. If you're not able to support us financially, that's completely fine, and I totally respect that. But what I would love for you to do then is go to wherever you're listening right now, whatever podcaster catcher you're on, whether it's Apple Music, Spotify, wherever it is, and leave us a five-star review and tell us why the show means something to you and why the show is an important listen for you. Friends, let me tell you about my last five days. I'm recording this the day after I got back from my hospital stay because guess what I had, friends? I had my second bowel obstruction. I woke up on Tuesday puking up some black stuff, which is real fun for me. Um, and then they were like, yeah, you'll have your second bowel obstruction um, in two years. 
you need to stay in here for five days. So I've just gotten out of the hospital and I'm just coming into the world again and trying to to do stuff. And I was like, oh, fuck, I haven't, you know, done a podcast in a week or so. I should probably get on that. And so that's why last Sunday you didn't hear anything because I didn't put anything out because I was totally not, I was totally not in a space to do anything I couldn't record. I was bedridden, unable to go anywhere, unable to do anything in the hospital in downtown Toronto with the bowel obstructions. So, so I just was like, fuck it, I have to let the show go for a little bit and not worry about that. But I'm back now. And um, let me tell you, going to the hospital as a complexly disabled person is one of the most frustrating things that I have ever had to do in my life. And I've had to go to the hospital a lot in recent years because of my IBS and because of stomach stuff and because of disability stuff. And I have to say, going to an emergency room as a complexly disabled person that uses a power chair is really, really tough sometimes. And I get really frustrated with how ableist our hospital system can be. When I was in there, for instance, I... They had a ceiling track lift, which is a lift that helps me get out of my bed into my chair and vice versa, and they didn't want me to use it. They wanted me to stay in bed the whole time, and I kept being like, I want to get up, can I use this power lift? And they were like, well, it's a policy that two people have to use it at at one time, and we don't want to do that. And I was like, well, that's ableist. Let us get up out of the bed. Let us not be bedridden the whole time. And so that was frustrating, and then... When I came to the ER, I didn't bring my wheelchair with me because I was throwing up black stuff. So I called an ambulance and I got to the to the ER. But because I didn't bring my wheelchair, that meant that getting home, they didn't know how to get me home. It took them all day on this past Monday, Monday to figure out how to get me home from the hospital. I, I ended up, they told me at 9 a.m. that they're going to get me home. And I wasn't home until 8.30 p.m. that evening. And they were just like, oh yeah, that's what it is. And it was so frustrating because had I had my wheelchair, I could have left at 9 a.m. Monday, but instead I didn't home till really almost 9 a.m. on that evening. And it was really, really frustrating. I just wish, I just wish our hospital system would think more about what people with disabilities need. And obviously there's a whole bunch of medical ableism there and there's a whole bunch of like stuff that's problematic there. But that's, that's kind of where I was this past week, and that's why I didn't... I was. If you follow me on social media at, at AA Gerza, you could see that I was posting a lot, and I was talking about my experience a lot. But if you haven't followed me on social media, which, why haven't you? I'm so great. Uh, follow me there, and, and I wanted to just um, tell you a little bit about my experience this past week, and what it was like being disabled, going to the hospital again. So fun. Um, thank you for listening, and now let's get to the show. So for this week's episode, we have a really cool guest. You heard him this past Thursday on a surprise episode of This Shit Is Real. He's my friend Jeremy Andrew Davis. He is a TikToker. He is multiply disabled. He is wanting to be a Hollywood screenwriter and director. Um, he is newly minted as autistic. He's really, really cool, and I really, really admire him. Um, in this episode, we talk about his experience coming out as autistic and realizing he was autistic. And also we talk about the kind of things 
that we want to see when it comes to Hollywood representation of disability. And we talk about so much more here. And he was such a blast to get to know and talk to. So, so fun. Just really funny. Really, really, like, um, honest about his experience. He's really, really, really popular on TikTok. Um, and you should all follow him there at Jeremy Andrew Davis. Uh, really, really, just this interview was so fun to do. And we did this back in May, and I was like, oh, I haven't released this yet. I want the world to know how cool he is. And so that's what you're going to hear today. Just kind of a continuation of our episode from Thursday where we talk about his gut stuff, but we go a little bit deeper here into disability and into more of his experiences there. Just before I get to my amazing interview of Jeremy Andrew Davis, I want to let you know that because of my disability and because of some things going on in my life right now and just, you know, the toll of creating a show by myself for six whole years without a production team and without anyone. I love Disability After Dark so so much. It's my baby. I love all the things that I've done with this program and all the conversations that I have. And don't worry, we're not going anywhere. We're not we're not leaving the airwaves at all. But I have decided that for some time, probably for the, our regular release schedule for quite a while, I'm going to release new episodes every other Sunday because I just need time to recuperate I need time to do my own thing I need time to be disabled and sometimes creating a show by myself and doing all the work is a lot so I'm going to move it to you're going to hear episodes once every two weeks on Sunday and that's a conscious decision I made to honor my disabled experience and to just give myself a little bit of a rest I realize that I deserve rest I deserve time to take a break. I deserve time to not have to worry about constantly creating content around disability. Even though I love creating disability content, it's one of my favorite things to do. I realized that I needed some time off and that's what I'm planning to do. So you'll hear new episodes every Sunday. I'm sorry, every other Sunday going forward, which means that if you're a Patreon, you'll hear new episodes ad-free every other Saturday. So I just wanted to put that announcement out to you, and I I hope that you'll keep continuing to follow us and continuing to support the work that I do. really, really means a lot. But now, enough of my rambling. On to my amazing interview with my friend, Jeremy Andrew Davis, right now on Disability After Dark. Jeremy Andrew Davis, hello. Hello, how are you? So Good. happy to be here. So happy to have you on the show. We're finally doing it. You and I have been planning this for a couple of months and then disability got in the way for both of us and then yes. finally we're here. <laughs> so exciting. I can't wait to talk to you some more. Um, so I don't know how you stumbled on me. I can't remember. I think you popped in my email box one day. Yes. And that's how it happened. Yeah. And the whole ADHD brain, I can't remember what... Uh... <laughs> what trail of thought led me to you, but I come, came across you on social media. I loved your stuff. You, what I like most is like lean into the uncomfortable things. And that just so resonated with me. And then like shortly after I found you, you had said like, Hey, I'm looking for podcast guests. And I'm like, Oh, I got to see if I can have oh, a nice. conversation with Andrew. So nice. here we well, are. Here, yeah, here we are. And, and it's cool. Cause you have my, my first name is your middle name. So yes. Yay, cool. It's like we're, it's like Kismet. So um, 
I don't know any, I don't know much about you other than what you've kind of put in the forum. And I'm excited to learn more about you. And we've had a little bit of an email correspondence since you initially like signed up, but can you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Tell us a bit about who you are, what you do. Sure. So um, I'll start with the disability identity. I am multi-disabled. Um, so I am autistic. I have ADHD, as previously mentioned. Uh, I have CPTSD. I have uh, irritable bowel syndrome, digestive issues, sensitivities. Cool, me too. Yeah, I, I love your content about that because it's one I of mean, those taboo subjects. If you listened to last Thursday's episode, you've we've already talked about this. We haven't yeah. recorded it yet, but we're recording this one. But if you listen, you've already heard about it. So great. <laughs> yeah, and then finally, I have a nervous system disorder that kind of affects a bunch of different things, but the primary uh, primary symptoms are pain and fatigue. So I spent a few years, like 80% bedridden. Um, and just, yeah, that's a, it was a hard time in my life. And I, I got some treatment that helped me get to functioning again, being able to work again, have a job. And yeah, so that's, that's my disability background. So I have quite a range of different experiences from neurodiversity to physical limitations. That's fun. It sounds like a grab bag of of just disability. (laughs) Um, But I I like to think of it in terms of like, it's given me the ability to understand and empathize with so many different experiences. And I've made so many friends and connections because of that, because yeah, you got to put a, a positive spin on it to kind of get through some of the, the darkness. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I totally get that. I see, I kind of go the other way a little bit. I'm like, let's go into the darkness for real, for like a good long while and talk about how shitty it is. And then Absolutely. eventually we'll find the, the like the positive part for sure. But yeah. I definitely understand like the struggle of trying to do all that. So let's back up a little bit. And I want to understand like, so you've kind of, shared with all your how your multiple disabilities what they are but I'm curious how do they all interact with each other and impact your day-to-day sometimes they get along sometimes they fight (laughs) um I so I have a, a TikTok that I I create scenes and I play different characters or like acting stuff out one of the videos that I made was my ADHD side of always wanting change was fighting with my autism side of needing a routine. So <laughs> it's like, ah, what, what do I do? There's two halves of me are not happy. Um, so yeah, there, there's so much that's impacted in my day to day. Actually, it, it wasn't until this year that I found out that I was autistic and it was a huge light bulb moment wow i mean congratulations well thank you i'm welcome to like just about 40 years old and i'm just now going oh my gosh i'm autistic and you know apart from the stigma of it that you get from society the the realization of that was so freeing because i kind of had like several buckets of these symptoms are definitely adhd these are definitely cptsd there's overlap there um and like even with the digestive issues and the neurological issues those are common with adhd as well but then i had this bucket of symptoms that didn't fit anywhere (laughs) 
Um, and I'm using the word symptom in, in place of a better term. I know that's the medical model terminology. Um, but I was following, you know, a bunch of autistic creators and I kept just going like, wow, that's, that's me, that's me, that's me. And, um, one of them, and I forget her name off the top of my head, which there's the ADHD operating. <laughs> she posted a, a resource that had a series of different quizzes for a, a general self-assessment for autism. And <laughs> I took the first quiz and I scored really high. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is interesting. And then I took the masking quiz and I scored off the chart. And and so the more I took, I'm like, okay, this is, yeah, this just makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of self-discovery in that. I'd already done a lot with the autism, or excuse me, with the ADHD and CPTSD, which I've had those diagnoses of understanding for several years now. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like... Some of the, the things that I deal with is being able to um, actually interact is a big one. So like um, the, this ties into some of my, uh, my background in my career. So ever since seventh grade, I wanted to be a writer and director of Hollywood films. Um, and I've hit closed door after closed door after closed door some of it because of my own limitations like I can't do 16 hour days yeah so I can't work on film sets so I can't network on film sets so I can't you know um but then also in my writing like there was a period of time where I was every week I'd have a call with a fellow writer and we'd brainstorm and, and I'd read her stuff, she'd read my stuff, and and we'd uh, kind of talk about each other's work. And I felt so supported. And for me, it worked like body doubling. Uh, I don't know if everybody listening in has heard of body doubling, but it's this great thing with ADHD and autism and several neurodiversities, where having somebody in the room or somebody you feel their presence drops the anxiety level down so much that the prefrontal cortex can function and think. And so having, oh, that I didn't know that. Person, I had no idea yeah, what that was until right now. It's life changing. So for nine months, I had this support person and we'd talk about our screenplays. And uh, I wrote more in that nine months than I'd written in my entire life combined. Um. And so having those elements of supports and, and finding other creators who like I learned about body doubling from Connor DeWolf, who's another TikToker who talks about ADHD and just learning that term was life changing. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, of course, my my other uh, manifestation of my neurodiversity is coming out as me just talking and talking and talking and talking. <laughs> it's all so, good. I'll give you a turn, Andrew, because I... Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but also, it's fine. I, I'm totally cool with an info dump. It's no worries. Um, but tell me... So so there was so much to unpack there. Wow. Yes. Um, tell me, like, okay, so you want to be a Hollywood director. Yes. And you, and you want to be a Hollywood writer too, right? Yeah. So director yes. and writer. So, like, what... 
And I know in the form, you gave me so much on the form. Like, there was so much to go through there. But, like, I wrote a novel. And yeah, it was like, literally was. Some ideas. I was looking back this morning and I was like, wow, there's so much here. Um, so, like, what kind of films, as a newly minted autistic human, like, what kind of films and what kind of stuff do you want to see in the media that you're not seeing right now? Okay, so it's funny. You, I love the way you phrase that because uh, especially with the autism thing um one of my first screenplays i wrote was it's called facade and it's about this tech designer who has an anxiety disorder but he's thrown into basically a spy thriller plot oh cool so like severance e kind of stuff or no um i haven't seen severance so (laughs) I don't know. You really should. It's really good. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to check that really out. Awesome. I'll make a note. Um, so, but I thought like, what is the perfect vehicle to explore an anxiety disorder? And this was coming from my own lived experience of uh, complex PTSD, where I have just massive social anxiety. And I was like, okay, what if you put someone with that in a spy thriller? How would that like blow up the experience? Um, and so I wrote the screenplay and, and in reviewing it after the autism diagnosis, I went, holy shit, this guy's autistic because this guy's me. Like <laughs> I wrote me as the main character. Of course, we all do that when right, we're writing right? that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in our earlier work. You know, so writing this several years ago and uh, I wanted to revisit it. And so now I'm like, oh, so like he has all these sensory issues of he he goes on a date in this restaurant and just like people clattering their silverware around him is making it so he can like not connect with the person he's with. Yeah. And he has digestive issues. So he's like ordering from the person who gives him gluten and he's like no and i would love to see a james bond spy thriller where james bond has to stop and shit himself like i would really i would totally watch that spy thriller yeah i really would one of the pitches that i i have when i'm pitching myself in in these you know you talk to agents and producers and stuff like that yeah yeah i'm like i want to see james bond as an autistic, I want to see, you know, and so I have all of these things and James Bond is one of them. So it's really cool that you mentioned him. Um, like we don't see this kind of disability representation and how cool would it be to have these different characters? Cause I don't want a literal James Bond. I want like a James Bond style movie. Yeah. That's totally dealing with autism and dealing with like ADHD and dealing with all the things that you mentioned that you have like right I think that would be we I've never seen that on film before I don't know what that would look like but I think it would, right. it's, I think it's about time and this is one of the the one of the closed doors that I find is in these pitches I oftentimes get like a response of curiosity from the industry professionals that I'm talking to but then there's some sort of break there. They can't see it. They're like, well, what kind of, what's it like? You know, we call those comps in, in the industry. So what are, com- what's a comparable movie or TV show? And I list some stuff and they're like, but there, there's no disability in there. 
And I'm like, well, yeah, because this this isn't done before. Yeah. Like, it's brand new. And there's this timid response to that, talking to, to the people in the industry of like, I can't conceptualize it, so... We're not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't tend to go places. Or, and oftentimes I also get outright ableist responses as well, which is more frustrating. Um, one of the common ones, actually, since we're talking about facade specifically, the most common one that I've gotten with that is, well, why doesn't he overcome his anxiety disorder by the end? What, he doesn't have a character arc with his disability. And I'm like, but that's the point. Yeah, the point <laughs> is that he's not, he doesn't have to overcome it. It just has to be there. That's all it right. is. He has a different character arc in there of like finding his worth, but he still has the anxiety disorder. That doesn't make him less worth. Yeah, no. that wouldn't make the audience root for him less. Yeah. In fact, they would probably root for him more because people in the audience would watch that and go, that's me. Oh, I do yeah. that. Yeah, I feel yeah. that way too. And maybe, you know, maybe seeing those characters on screen would make somebody think about their own going to see a, a specialist to see if they they too have autism or they too are on the spectrum or they like, Yeah, it'll open the door for them to have conversations about it that they haven't had before. And beyond that, in the general population, building empathy and dismantling ableism, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I can't like watching that movie blew my mind because it pointed out to me my own ableism. And I've had those kinds of responses from some readers as well. Um, But it's, you know, you butt up against these hurdles so frequently. It's just hard. And it's um, it's exhausting, I think, to yes. const- to constantly, especially in in the industry that's like trying, especially in 2022, trying to be more inclusive and trying to get hit it right. And then you're bringing them these ideas on how to do it right, and they're like, "Oh, but I don't see an arc." Right. <laughs> like you don't have this. You don't need to see an arc. You just need to put the character in there. Right. Right. And, and there's plenty of characters. Speaking of James Bond, that don't have an arc at all. Yeah. Like. James Bond is a static character and he creates change in the characters around him. James Bond is not even the same character from like (laughs) multiple movies. Like it's a code name. Right. So like, you know, what's cool about that is that they could have a disabled James Bond and it wouldn't change. They could do it in the same style that they did with Daniel Craig and the same style they did with Pierce. They could do it in all the same styles. Right. But still talk about anxiety as a thing he has to deal with. Yeah. Or a wheelchair user, you know? That would be fucking awesome. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be be so amazing? Would blow my fucking mind to see James Bond as a wheelchair user. Yes. And imagine, like, Q outfitting all the gadgets. It would, I mean, that would just be, my mind is already blown at the idea of that. Yeah, I I so want to see these movies. And there's so many people who, who would like, oh my gosh, that would be fucking amazing to see that. Why don't we see that? And we don't we don't we don't see it because Hollywood, like you said, in your when you sent in your form, you said Hollywood is designed to keep us out. And I think you're right. It is designed yeah. to stop us from excelling. And the only stories that we're allowed to see are again the overcoming arc or like, you know, the inspirational I'm gonna cry about how inspirational that disabled guy is arc. <laughs> yeah. Like, or the villain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I would love to play 
a disabled villain. I would love to do it. <laughs> yes. I would totally do it. A hundred percent. But yeah, like the idea that like you have to be a villain because you're disabled, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, and one that comes to mind is uh, Arcane League of Legends, which is an amazing show. It's so well-written, so gripping. Everything about that show is just, it's one of my favorite shows. But something was bothering me. So I did a character breakdown and there's like 15 disabled characters and all but one and a half of them are villains. Oh no. And there's only one that's truly a good guy, but the more disabled he becomes, the more his morals get worse and the more he dabbles in the villain side of things. And then there's one character who starts off as a good character, but then turns villain as she has what society calls mental illness. So the worse her mental illness becomes, the worse of a villain she becomes. And yeah. just like, oh, you had it's... such a potential to break yeah. this. Yeah. Why it's... isn't it at least equal in representation of villains and good guys? Because to, we don't know what to do with disabled people. Like Hollywood yeah. doesn't know what to do with us. They don't know what to do. Right. And you know, they're stuck in this idea that disabled equals bad. And that's, we have to do so much work to dismantle that. But it's exhausting. Like it's really tiring. Yeah, it's so exhausting. And it does, like, it's it's like we have to be trendsetters and prove that it works and so when I hit these closed doors I'm finding other veins that I can do and so like in 2009 I started into social media uh, got my start on YouTube and it was mainly at the beginning helping other creators have success yeah Um, and so I wasn't an influencer and then between 2016 and uh, 2020 I worked at flight tests uh, which is a YouTube channel and uh, they have a bunch of other stuff, but they do drone content. And so I became their showrunner, and I became also on camera talent and oh, nice. channel to 1.6 million subscribers, a wow. um, hundred million uh, cum- cumulative video views. And I started integrating into the content when I was on camera, I would talk about some of my disability stuff and I talk about it for like 60 seconds, couple minutes. And the comments would be blowing up of like, oh my gosh, this so relates to me. And, and the community, it already had such a strong community, but the community became so much even tighter in this group of people who just resonated with the struggles that I was having. Yeah. Um, even if it was like, I was talking about, uh, perfectionism and they didn't necessarily have a disability I would be relating it to like my CPTSD and they're like oh my gosh I'm, I'm a perfectionist too but what you said helped me and I was like bridging that gap and so now with my TikTok channel uh, I, does, does TikTok call them channels I don't know it's I don't know I'm not cool <laughs> enough to know I'm, I'm too old to, I don't know how <laughs> TikTok is for the young children. I have it, but I'm always like, I don't know how this works. Whatever. Okay, sure. (laughs) It's kind of funny because like my content is from someone new to the platform. It feels like it's blowing up very rapidly. And 
I'm like, I don't know how to use the platform. I'm just like, <laughs> it's funny. I record it on my phone. I put it on my computer. I edit it in Premiere. <laughs> I export it to a close or an open captioning program. And then I export it and I upload it to TikTok, which is totally a millennial it's way. It's the whole thing it. of like, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> like most TikTokers would just do it on their phone and right, right. put it in. Right. <laughs> but I found this path where, where like all my TikTok content is talking about my disability experiences in one way or another. Yeah. Um, and like I, I have uh, at the time of this recording, like, 45,000 followers. I'm growing at 7,000 followers. Look at you, famous. Like, what? Famous! Well, I mean, I was already famous at flight tests. <laughs> so it, it's, I'm just jumping over a little bit. To, to, to me, it doesn't feel like terribly famous because I have had this history before. Um, but at, I guess what I'm getting at is like, there's this huge, huge audience that is just eating this kind of content up that I'm specifically gearing towards disability where flight test, we had another hook. We were building an eight foot foam board airplane and then shooting a tank with airsoft out of it. You know, I mean, that's cool. That's cool. It gets a few, a few eyes on it, but I'm just talking about disability and people are like, Whoa, like, um, and I'm just like the, making a movie about this would have to sell. So See, I think the problem with the movie part is that TikTok is an independent, like you can post yeah. anything from anywhere and it's immediate. Whereas a movie has to go through so many channels of all the stuff to make it go. And so yeah. I think that until movie execs stop being young, stop being young or old, like cis able-bodied white straight dudes then like maybe maybe yes but i think the beauty of tiktok is that it's immediate you can put your thoughts up within like two seconds and there it is and that's that finding that doorway like the doors were closed or to use a different analogy i've seen this meme of like i kept thinking i wanted a place at your table but what i realized is i wanted my own table yeah and so it's like I kept trying to get a seat at the table, but I went and built my own table. And so once you get big enough, then there's enough of a following where it's I like, can raise my own funds. And, I don't and want I, your table. I want to invite you to my table that I've already, yes. that I've had forever. Like that's what kind of what I do with my content is like, I bring people into the table that I'm already well seated at that. I already have all the cutlery up for. <laughs> I want to bring you into it already. Like I don't want to seat at your table because I deserve more than a seat. Like, yeah, your table this. is ableist. <laughs> yeah, like I don't want to be at your table, really. Truly, I, I'll, I'll invite you to mine. But like, yeah, yeah, and I think Hollywood needs to start doing that more. Yeah, and I think we're starting to see that too. And uh, as more creators get these multi-million followings, there's there's power there where yeah. you can go look. I can make a movie and I already have a a built-in audience or um, so I typically write in genre. And so they typically tend to be more expensive productions like star Wars or Marvel, (laughs) (laughs) but um, 
I, I'm one of, I kind of like to lay out different opportunities for myself. So I have a plan of this might hit or that might hit. There's, I'm casting a wide net. And so I've, I've written a low budget indie dramedy that I can raise, you know, 500,000 for and direct it myself and own the movie outright to be a proof of like, okay, here's my capabilities. I've done a feature film. There you go. And then from there, I have, you know, maybe a $2 million script that I've written, uh, two to $5 million range. And so from the proof of, hey, I made a $500,000 movie, which I know seems like a lot, but for a movie, like, that's That's not, yeah, it's like not paying half of the crew. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and for me, producing a film costs more money because I can't do the 16 hour days. I have to do eight to 10 hour days. So we have to pay people in the movie industry. You're paid by a day rate, not by an hourly. So the more days you shoot, the more expensive. And so, yeah, there's an increase in cost there. Um, but yeah, so I'm like laying this groundwork of, okay, here's an indie drama that's a little bit outside of the typical genre that I write, but it's a story that's, that's very personal to me. Um, it's, it's called Camping with Dad, and it's about a chronically ill man whose manipulative father kidnaps him on a disastrous camping trip meant to fix their relationship. I like that, though. I'm kind of with the dad. Like, good for you for kidnapping your son. Oh, no, no. See, it's it's uh, written after my experiences with my own covert narcissist father. Oh, okay. I, so I, I retract what I <laughs> It's okay. It's a, well, here's the cool thing. Like, it's another one of those things. We don't see this kind of representation. We see a lot of the, oh, here's a kitschy little funny story of two estranged uh, parent and adult child who go on this wild adventure and their relationship is now good somehow. Yeah, yeah. Which is so rare in real life. And you don't ever see the movie where it's like, oh, this parent is toxic and there needs to be separation or there needs to be something done here to fix it, to address the toxicity. Yeah. And so that's, that's what camping with dad is really about. They go out into the wilderness. The son's like, dad, you kidnapped me. You, you like lied to me and manipulated me out here. And now we're stuck. And it's his journey of realization of how toxic the relationship is even when his dad is showing quote unquote love, there's this manipulative toxicity to it. And of course there's digestive issues uh, all throughout. Amazing. Well, I, I wasn't expecting that when I read the, when you sent me what the title was, I was expecting like what you said, a really like, not kitschy, but like a sweet, like coming together story. So like, I like, I get, I like that you kind of turn all that on its head. One of the things I know you, I'm going to shift gears a bit. One of the things I know yeah. you wanted to talk about in the forum was like the horrible representation of CPTSD and yes. how it's horribly represented on film um, and how that affects you. So could you talk about that a little bit more? Sure. And I sent you a whole bunch of 
things that we could talk about we don't have to get through oh wow we could sit for like (laughs) what you sent me could be like a four episode arc yeah yeah (laughs) i'd love that um so in terms of ptsd and cptsd which i've already mentioned a few times um it's really interesting talking to people about their perceptions of this uh mental reality um one people people's general perception of it is like oh this is an anger disorder there's a lot of like the depictions that you see of ptsd especially in movies um but also in tv there's always those big moments where the person is having this violent expression of their PTSD yeah, um, and harming those around them. But PTSD is an anxiety disorder and anger can manifest as a symptom of PTSD, but for most manifestations of PTSD, that's not the case. There's no anger issues. There's no anger problem in, in terms of like, I mean, yes, you have anger from the trauma, but there's not like a, I am being toxic and damaging to the people around me through my anger. Yeah. Um, and part of what this comes with is that most of the depictions of PTSD and CPTSD, uh, for, for people who don't know the distinction, CPTSD, the C stands for complex, and it's used for PTSD where the trauma experience has lasted for a longer period of time. So if you're in a car accident, you can have PTSD because it's a singular event that you have trauma from. If you've had childhood abuse, that's CPTSD and the manifestations of these mental experiences are a bit different because prolonged trauma creates different changes in the brain. Yeah. So um, the most of the way that the PTSD and CPTSD is portrayed is military um, either veterans or, or people who have had combat combat experience. Yeah. Uh, not just like they were in the military, but they saw uh, actual combat. And so there, there's a question that I like to ask people. So I'm going to put you on the spot here and it's not about getting the right answer. It's about what is the perception? So what would you say is your perception of the percentage of people who have PTSD who are civilians, never, never been in the military, never saw a combat, anything like that. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to say like, because I know it, because the way you pose it makes you think it's immediately well, higher. So don't, don't try to, to go the, the way I think. So I'm going to go higher. Just like, what is your, your perception? My perception is that it's really low. Yeah. What could you put a number to it? Like, one percent one percent civilians yeah the highest number i've gotten when i've asked this is like 25 percent civilians the actual number is depending on which study somewhere between 92 and 98 percent of people with ptsd or cptsd or civilians with no military background what hold on wow wow that right makes, that in terms of like our media 
representation of that. It's totally off the mark. Wow. Way off the mark. Yeah. And so at my last job, there was a, a time where I needed to disclose that I had PTSD. Now, I, I know that some people are going to go like, oh, was there a big angry blow up? No, there was no anger involved. I won't get into the situation because that's a whole nother story about ableism and all that kind of stuff. But I had to talk to the HR guy and I said, well, I have PTSD. And, and he's like, oh, I didn't know you were in the military. Oh, and I'm like, no. I, I wasn't. <laughs> so you have all of these depictions that show one that it's military and two that there's these angry outbursts or like the common one is there's a, a they have a flashback and with the flashback there's a hallucination and they grab their gun and they're shooting and then yeah they're like endangering their family and it's like that's that's so rare now it does happen and this is the sticky part because if you're getting a sensitivity read so let's say I've written a script on military PTSD. I do a sensitivity read for somebody to make sure it's accurate. And they say, yes, this is accurate because this does exist. This is an accurate representation of a certain very small sliver of PTSD. But because of the overall presentation of PTSD in society as a whole, it can still be harmful and not be an equitable presentation because yeah. you're reinforcing a, a perception that isn't accurate. Yeah. So there's, there's all this nuance to disability representation in film that I do have a little bit of a, a empathy for people in Hollywood who are like, we don't want to step on a landmine and do something wrong even if we do our due diligence um but at the same time that due diligence is so needed and and doing these stories is so needed and so as a disabled person and you've made some posts similar to this too is like hey i want to cheer this movie on there's problems with it yeah well at least we're getting some representation (laughs) like you know by the time people listen to this I was in the new Queers Folk. Which is so awesome. Which I'm like so excited about and can't wait to. Congratulations. When we're recording this, I haven't seen any of it. But by the time you listen to this and you're listening, hopefully you've all seen it. Episode four. Uh, But, you know, even with that, it was, I'm so proud to be a part of it and so proud to like consult. And I got to read all the scripts and I got to like help them do it. And I got to do all that. But also, I'm sure there could have been more done. I'm sure. And so, like, it's such a weird place to be in. I'm like, yeah, I'm excited, but also, like, could we do more? Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, I, 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 but I think the way Hollywood does that, and I'm curious what you think, like, the way Hollywood, like, doesn't step on those landmines is by bringing a disabled person in from the, the beginning of script writing, yes. from the beginning of the whole process, and not just one, like multiple disabled people. Like yes, when they were, when they were, and I'm gonna, I haven't recorded it yet, but I'm gonna do an episode with, with the director of Queer Folk. When they were putting it uh-huh. together, they were hiring disabled people to read the scripts and give them ideas. Not just me. Like they were making sure that there were other people there that were like, 
Well, how does how does this go? Yeah, and, and hiring that multiple dis- disability perspective. Yeah. Uh, to use the PTSD example again, like if they just hire someone with military PTSD at the beginning stage, they're not getting the civilian perspective of it and, and you know, those kinds of things. Um, and yeah, it, you're absolutely spot on of like hire us, involve us, hire us as writers in the writer's room, all those kinds of things. And I also want to encourage non-disabled people to start writing. And you know what? You're going to make mistakes and there's going to be issues and we can move forward and address those and that kind of thing. So I'm going to give a shout out to my friend, Christopher Hopper. He's an Amazon bestselling author and he is developing a new book series that has disability uh, inclusion in it. It's a, it's a core part of the story. And I'm not sure if I'm allowed to give any of the story out. So I'll I'll keep the the details quiet. Okay. But um, we've been friends for a while and I've talked about my experience and he's learned so much about it, but he's like, I I need to have you involved from the very beginning so that I know that I'm doing a good job. And so he's hired me as a a disability representation consultant for the book series that he's writing. Oh, that's awesome. So awesome. Um, And so if more people can do that as they're developing from the very beginning, brainstorming all those kinds of things and integrating disability inclusion into the stories, like into the process, I think. And the the, the process is the part like the end product, fine. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Like, (laughs) but, but like the, from the process and what I loved about, you know, and I've done it for others. I've done, I've helped done sensitivity reading for plays and for books and for chapters and that kind of stuff. And I love doing that because I get to, they don't have to take my idea, but at least I put my idea down and I said, here's what I think. Here's, yeah. what, I, here's what I think you should do. Here's why. Um, and they can do whatever they want with it, but you know, at least they've taken the time to see what someone else with a real disability and a real experience thinks. And that's, I think, so rare still in Hollywood and still yes. in the the area that you want to focus in like that community and I've been out to Hollywood to do stuff and like it's they don't they're you know they need they need more of us out there to be like here's how you make this work absolutely because you know we're not you know we're just not telling the the full story sometimes and sometimes we all feel like disabilities attack on sometimes and so it's like no it needs to be there from the beginning from the whole thing so like yeah. it's really cool that you both want to do that in what you're doing and are, have been hired on to also give that perspective it's so rewarding what parts of your disability like other than other than autism other than cptsc um what parts of your disability do you want to see on film or in specs or in scripts that you haven't seen so far? Um, irritable bowel syndrome, definitely. I mean, right? I mean. <sighs> it's it's funny. So, like, I spent so much of my life in the bathroom. Um, funny story. So, 
a few of the people who I have as readers for my my screenplay. So I write a screenplay, I send it to my readers, they give me feedback, I do rewrites, that kind of thing. So several of them pointed out, why do you always have a bathroom scene in your stories? And I'm like, I do? I, it didn't even occur to me that in every single one of my stories, there's a bathroom scene. I love it because that that way you're like, even my characters can feel safe to shit if they have to. Right, like, right. Um, and, and within ca- Camping with Dad was really interesting when I got feedback. Um, my first draft, the very first scene, he's in the toilet having gastric distress. And people read it and they were like, I, uh, one, I felt really uncomfortable getting to meet a character while he's sitting on the toilet. Amazing. I would want to be his best friend immediately. Like I like, yep, yeah, sure, good. Two, they're like, oh, this scene is meant to be funny. And they were laughing at it. And then they were thrown because the scene ends tragically. And they're like, I, I couldn't get a read on your tone. What is the, and I'm like, it's not supposed to be funny. He's, he's in distress on the toilet at work. And he's having his bosses be assholes. And so the feedback was good. It's the, the, you've got to read the note in between the note or behind the note. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I reworked the scene for people who haven't experienced gastric distress. What is that play. like? What is it like to never experience? Get what? Right. I, I mean, who are you? What, what is that? Like I've only experienced that when I have a, you know, the Burrito flu or, or something weird. Yeah. Or like, it's like, that. oh, well that's been my everyday experience. Yeah. It's happening right now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to lean into the humor that people are automatically, their brains are are trained to go, oh, this scene is funny. So I start them off by laughing. And then midway through the scene, they start feeling uncomfortable on purpose. And then by the end of it, they're like, oh, my God, I feel so bad for this guy. Yeah. Yeah to to try to break those ableist perceptions and so those are some of the fun things of like one discovering how other people see things is like oh you don't have a point of reference for this at all i kind of have to do a cinematic ted talk to get you to even understand the concept but how do i do that by not taking you out of the story and doing a ted talk you know. Yeah, and I think that, I think to go back to our, your earlier point about like, why Hollywood doesn't tell these stories, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. They don't know how to keep the story going while also talking about somebody going through a disability moment or somebody having a disability moment that they have no reference for. Like, yeah. I think that's exactly why they don't share these stories because they have no idea where to go with it. Yeah. And that's some of the feedback that I've gotten from Facade is like, well, you have a couple of these moments where it, <clears throat> it feels like the, the thriller pacing pauses because your character's having, they didn't phrase it this way, but I like that phrasing of they're having a disability moment. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the point. <laughs> like the disability moment is going to stop everything because they can't continue in the story until they deal with this reality for them. 
So it, it's finding those creative ways as a writer without any references to draw from because it hasn't really been done before. Yeah. Of like, how do you bring the audience who doesn't have any point of reference along, have them have emotional buy-in to go, yes, that was great. And then, of course, there there's the difference between on the page, it's oftentimes harder to read the mood than once it's filmed, but you have to sell what's on the page to be able to get it filmed. To film, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's fun, interesting, and exhausting. And that's why I think having more disabled people in the room um, from the beginning and, like, now I, now I want to be like, I want to be like, hey, so do you need another spec reader? Like, how do I do that for you? Because yeah. I think, like, having other disabled people read your stuff and be like, what about this? What about this? Like, that collaboration could be really fun. So if you need somebody, yes. put it out there. Like, I will read oh it. I'll do Thank it for you. you. That um, is amazing. Because be, that'd be really fun. But um, we went all over the place in this first hour. Uh, well, the second hour. By the time you've heard this, you'll have heard the first hour already, which we haven't recorded yet. We're gonna we're gonna be doing the you're gonna be doing the shit is real, and we talked about it off the air. But I feel like we should just go into straight into that recording. So we haven't listened. You haven't heard that yet, audience. But we will be. You should, hang on. Let me try again. <laughs> you have heard it, but we haven't recorded it yet. It's coming up soon. Now. I don't know. Um, all right. Time so, travelers. Yeah. Who knows what's this is really like up and down podcast today. Um, so Jeremy Andrew Davis, how do the people, so we've been all over the place. How do the people get a hold of you? How can they become a reader of your work? Um, and was there anything else you wanted to share that we haven't yet? Ooh, yes. So, um, the place to kind of find links to all of my different content, uh, past, present, and future, is my website. It's easy to remember. It's jeremyandrewdavis.com. Wow, super easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so there's links to the, the TikTok on there. There's links to my work at Flight Test. Um, I even have, like, uh, breakdowns of the screenplays that I've written uh, with log lines, all those kinds of things, as well as some of the short films that I've produced in the past um, and haven't been able to produce with the pandemic and disability, but uh, hoping to do some more short films and a feature in the not too distant future. Well, if you need someone, again, to read your stuff or you yes. need somebody to be in your indie film, let me know. I'm I am so excited for that. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on this second hour of thank you for the after dark uh and by the time people have heard this they'll have heard you talk about your poo too so yay we're already best friends i know we're going right in um but thank you so much for being here and we will talk to you again soon thank you so much for listening everybody and i'll see you on the internet awesome yay bye bye all right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I was, of course, your delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening and shining a bright light on disability stories with me. If you want to follow all my work and see all my links and all the cool stuff I'm doing, you can head over to my new website, aagerza.com. 
com, and all my stuff is there. My social links are there. My website is there. My podcast is there. Everything is there, and you can follow along with the show that way. If you want to leave a review for the show, please do so wherever you get your podcast. It really does help keep the bright lights shining on this show. If you want to support the show financially and get the show one day early, completely ad-free, as well as a shout-out on the air, consider pledging as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more by going to patreon.com slash disability after dark. Stay comfy, cozy, and crippled, and we'll shine a bright light on disability stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Cripple & Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.